This week, the Philadelphia story. Old school classic Hollywood. Getting the business. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crab all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Oh, hey, listener. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast. This is Chris. This is week along with Eric and Brian. We're going to tackle the oldest movie we have yet to feature on the program, 1940s, The Philadelphia Story. You hear this thing? Anyone? Anyone who watched classic movies ever? Uh, it's one of my favorites, so I thought I'd just get the fellas on board to talk about it. Eric, of course, has seen it before. Brian had never done that, so it's an interesting take. You get someone who's never seen a bona fide, dyed-in-the-wool Hollywood classic movie, and you get an, just an unvarnished opinion of that. So, fascinating stuff. But uh, the Philadelphia story. It's uh, Catherine Hepburn's comeback vehicle after she was considered box office poison. Uh, Cary Grant, Jimmy Stewart, at the height of their powers in Hollywood. It's an MGM comedy directed by George Cukor. Uh, a lot of stuff going on here. It's very classic Hollywood, very polished, also very funny. It's one of my favorite movies ever for various reasons, and uh, I just wanted to watch it again, which is why I made the fellows watch it. So we're going to talk about that. Before we do that, we also go over some new things this week. G.I. Joe, Snake Eyes, The Green Knight, uh, and Jungle Cruise are all going to get their due so we got a lot going on this week. I guarantee it's going to be a lot of fun. We uh, get stupid, like always. We give unvarnished opinions that don't make a lot of sense to anybody but us. And we do it in such a way that we hope you enjoy. Because that's our deal. If you like that or anything else that we're doing, send us an email, magnificentlyhugegmail.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we're on SoundCloud for the show. We're on uh, iTunes. We're on Stitcher wherever you get podcasts, and then uh, also our website, maghuge.com. So any of those will get you where you need to be. So hopefully you enjoy the show. I've yapped on long enough. Without further ado, uh, the Philadelphia story. Hey, everybody. I'm Eric. That's Brian. This is Chris. This is a magnificently huge show. We jumped right into the intros. Who is ready to rock? You're so good at that now. You're I'm putting trying. the rest of us to shame. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> it's like, it must be all the cocaine you're doing recently or I, something. I figure if I jump in with just like a handful of stupid energy, it'll like start us like, 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 like moving, you know, like yeah. at running speed at least. Hey, that's true. Stupid energy. That's a good, yeah. uh, that's a good general theme. Yeah. I'm the guy who stupid pushes energy. the car while the driver tries to pop it. Pop the clutch. That's <laughs> <laughs> for the record. Uh, Eric's car always ran out of gas at the top of a hill. So that's just you know history. That might have yeah. been my car, Chris. I'm not sure. But, oh no, yeah. there was a time we were coming back from uh, Star Trek Five at like 12:30 at night, and his big Bronco <laughs> ran out of gas at the top of a fucking hill, and we had to hope that it got up to the crest so we could push <laughs> it to the gas station. <laughs> that's forever cemented with Star Trek Five for me. Beyond anything. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's better Thanks. than remembering Thanks for anything that. from Star Trek V. Yeah. What does right. God need with a starship. starship. It's me. <laughs> it's Cybok. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, how's everybody this week? Good. Great. You want to get on with the fresh shit? Please. This shit is fresh. Uh, who watched anything or did stuff? I wanted to ask about the shit going on in your state with uh, uh, your 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 state senate, but you know, okay, oh. we don't have to. Oh, fucking Texas and their yeah. normal nonsense. Yeah, it's fucking hilarious. It's run, it's run by a bunch of inept fuck nuts, uh, if I may be so blunt, uh, who are more interested in pushing talking points than actually doing any actual work to solve issues. Yeah. So ever since we had the big winter storm power failure in February, uh, they've spent no time at all to try and address that and fix it so it doesn't happen again. Instead, they've pushed things like voter restriction, abortion restriction, et cetera, et cetera. And so it got to the point where the Texas legislature didn't want to push through the Democrats uh, the very severe, overly uh, restrictive Voting Act 
because of some lie that Trump has been telling. I don't know if you've heard this thing where supposedly the election was stolen mm-hmm. from Trump, but <laughs> Texas overwhelmingly voted for Trump. So somehow that translates to there's chicanery that we need to restrict voting from brown people. So anyway, the Democrats had no no way to push their agenda, so they just basically left the state and broke quorum. And then Governor Abbott called a special session, and they did it again. And now they're in D.C., and like five of them got COVID because of traveling and the whole nine yards, and the whole state is just going to hell in a handbasket. That's Texas. How are you? <laughs> so, so uh, I can't I can't get out of here fast enough, honestly. I mean, I mean, you gotta admit it's it's we timed it pretty perfectly in being the age we are during the end times because we're yeah. going to get to see everything completely fall apart when we're old enough that yeah we don't have much more to live for anyway. Sure, yeah. let's watch it burn. Well, I mean, it's like where <laughs> I live is now back up to stage four COVID. Uh, because cases keep rising because of the Delta variant and blah, blah, blah. People aren't masking up, or most people aren't. They're, half the people aren't vaxxed because they just think that it's some sort of conspiracy. And so on top of all that, our governor basically just said, no, I'm not going to reimpose a mask restriction, and I'm going to basically sign an executive order to tell municipalities that they can't do anything about mask ordinances so the party of small government has basically gone out of their way to restrict the powers of small government it just makes no sense and i'm just furious thanks for asking eric appreciate oh oh i love this stuff you know i I, a quick note and a quick note to the uh ultra right wing um i'm not going to take no vaccine you shove down my throat people because you know there are a ton of those in our audience um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. The done reason, the yeah, the reason originally you were supposed to be against things like a vaccine and masks is because your your then president was trying to convince everyone there was no problem. Okay, he's not around anymore, and we know there's a problem. So now you're allowed to like forget that junk and you know worry about the super virus. That's the only reason any of this yeah. stuff got any speed. Well, it's you know, over now. I'll. I'll give them this. The Republicans uh, have done a good job of uh, shaking the shiny bobble so that we're not going to focus so much on that insurrection in January. So mm. I think we're all good. I really do. I think we're going to be fine. Everything's yep. cool. How are you? Thanks I, for listening. I am, <laughs> I am good. Uh, Portland is just coming out from under its second heat dome, whatever that is. I've never heard the expression, but apparently we we're under one. Nice. Uh, so it's been nice and crackly. And my experience of living in Arizona has prepared me for it. Um, I was going to say, we lived in a... you have an air conditioner? Yeah. 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 Well, plus, it's just, you know, you grow up in Arizona with the 120-degree summers. I think if you move somewhere else where that hits, you're probably like, I've done this before. Yeah, I've done worse. Exactly. (laughs) So, So, yeah. Excellent. That's that's it for me here. Well, good. Have you watched anything? This has been uh, the Magnificently Huge Weather and Politics <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. I know. We got to get the hey. current events out of the way so that you yeah. know uh, when this was recorded. It's always That's makes, true. Yeah, it That's makes true. me think of Carlin. Hey, hippy-tippy weatherman, it's a 50% chance of rain today. <laughs> Wonderful, I know. Another senseless killing today as the body of Irving Senseless was found in his home. <laughs> oh, God. Did you watch anything this week, Eric, that you want to share with the class? I did. Um, well, I, I found a great new podcast, uh, Real Dictators. Uh, it's, it's a history podcast that goes through the lives of of known dictators and how they started and how they got to where they are. Um, mm-hmm. I like history podcasts. This is a good one. It's not just somebody reading stuff. They, they talk to experts in junk. Who but have they the covered best, so far? Uh, Adolf Hitler, Stalin, um, Kim Jong-un, uh, okay. you know, the favorites. But what gotcha. I really like is that the narrator is Paul McGann. Joseph Stalin, the man who turned Russia into a superpower and set the stage for the Cold War. Stalin found Russia with the wooden plow, and he left it with atomic weapons. He would work late into the night developing slogans. If Stalin had been born in the United States, he would have been a first-class advertising executive. He really understood 
how to get people to, to buy what he's selling. Mao Zedong, the peasant's son who transformed China. The dulcet tones of Paul McGann, the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, eighth doctor. Eighth, eighth, eighth doctor. Yeah, he's like, yeah. The, yeah. He's like the, the only one that did the, the one-off for the American crowd and then went. Right. And you I would know think from- that that would buy him infamy, but he then, you know, was the doctor in a bunch of Big Finish audio uh, yeah. productions of Doctor right, Who so- that are all very good, by the so way. So it's canon. It's canon. I, I yeah. like him better from like With Nail and I, him and Richard E. Grant. That movie makes me I did me not just, like that movie. <laughs> really? It makes me fall over piss laughing every time I see it. Really? Because it's just so bleak, yet happily so. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> but okay. Did yeah. they, have they, and, and, are they going to do Paul right. Pot on this podcast? Um, they haven't told me, okay. uh, but they might. How dare they? Okay. I can, Good. I can actually pop it open as, as we're talking. Uh, see, The Dictators. Uh, let's see. Adolf Hitler, always a favorite. Whoops. Now it's playing. Okay. Uh, yeah, Hitler's yeah. like the, the, the king hell okay. dictator. Like, if you're going to bring up dictator, he's like yeah. top dog. He's like the he's gold the, standard. Exactly. I, 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 that's, that's the way I feel about it. You know, I think if you're not talking Hitler, you're not talking di- dictators. <laughs> I mean, you that's know? your baseline. Baseline yeah, is Hitler, Hitler, Stalin. Yeah, we're you know we're we're talking about the classics here. Yeah, yeah. Right? No, nobody does yeah. genocide quite like Hitler. That's Francisco sure. Franco, Ooh. Um, Colonel Gaddafi. Uh, nice. Yeah, and 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 it's not just like a show. It's like several shows. You know, they, yeah. they 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 dig into the history. It's very good. The one thing I don't like is that the ads jump right out at you at slightly higher volume and you're just like i don't want to hear about car insurance you're just talking about adolf hitler <laughs> so that's yeah that's uh well I'll, i only brought up paul pot because when i took my sojourn to the uh southeast asia many moons ago i did some time in uh, cambodia i did like a week or 10 days or whatever and it was so jarring because there were very few people under the age of like 40 because they basically killed everybody, but it was a slow burn to notice it. And then suddenly you're like, holy shit. And that's all you can notice now. It's like, holy shit, there are no old people in this country anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, fuck, I got to get out of here. <laughs> so. We're going we're gonna to put, we're going to put <laughs> dead Kennedy's holiday in Cambodia under that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Paul pot, Paul, Paul pot. <laughs> well, so last week you were watching like disaster shit. This week you're on to dictators. You uh, you got a you got an odd yeah, sensibility, right. Eric. I yeah, I guess I don't like like you know, okay. I'm not getting enough disaster in my everyday news diet, so <laughs> I gotta seek out more. Uh, okay, really, yeah. you're not getting enough disaster in the I, everyday news. Well, yeah, obviously, no, he, it's he does build up. Yeah. He it's doesn't live in Arizona or Texas. He doesn't live in Arizona yeah. or Texas, so he doesn't get a daily dose of bullshit. Does he live in 2021? Yeah. Im- anyway, I don't I know. Mean, Do you have a time machine? Imagine that that you know you're you're trying to watch pornography and all there is are rom coms. It's like everything is leading up to it, but you never get to see it. That's what the news is for me. <laughs> okay. It's basically um, like... Uh, there's no like, money shot in the news for Eric. Yeah, exactly. Okay. It's, it's, it's like continue. tuning into Cinemax After Dark and getting nothing but PG-13. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I want to see some shit. Um, yeah. yeah, the other thing... Uh, let's see. Went back to... I don't know why. I think because it's been on for so long, I feel like so much time has been invested that I need to see what... How, what the end is going to be for the walking dead but uh yeah watched the it, end it doesn't of, end it's a zombie show you can't kill it they've declared yeah. the the last season and then they're going to make movies um i'm still convinced the whole the yeah. whole walking dead thing like they're all in a virtual you know reality simulation i want to see if i'm right um, yeah, nothing really yeah, to talk about good. with this show. This show keeps coming back to the same characters and the same problems, and they never quite seem to evolve. At one point, there was one episode where, um, uh, oh, what's his name? The, 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 the survivalist dude, uh, Daryl. Daryl and his best friend, Carol. 
and they're in the forest and she's complaining about something. He says, God damn it. You're always complaining about the same fucking problem. And I'm like, yeah, that's the show. They just yeah. <laughs> keep going back to. Anyway, the only reason I bring this up is the last episode in the, the season was it's Negan. And it's it's a backstory of the best character on the whole show. And um, Jeffrey Dean something something Morgan the Morgan Jeffrey Dean Morgan who plays him gets to go back to being the horrifying badass that is Negan and he's really the whole reason for the well, show I think when now. he played comedian in Zack Snyder's Watchmen I mean it was like he was he was the, the best, best part, thing about yeah. that yeah it's like holy fuck every time he's on screen you can't remove your eyes it's like oh my god so then yeah. when I saw he was going to be the big bad on Walking Dead I was like, oh, people are going to be entertained at the very least. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. And, he, and, you know, Jeffrey Dean Morgan has basically two gears. One is high-octane, hilarious violence. The other is sort of dour pussy boy. And he's, yeah. he's gone into that second one for the last season and a half. And I think they were, they were like, yeah, we got to revisit Negan Negan. Ugh. And... <laughs> so so how, have you watched much of this brian like when did you stop watching walking I dead i have never watched the okay, walking dead good uh, good i quit at like season three i got through that yeah, one and went i'm done I've, I've never been into the zombie thing because it basically exists for two reasons one i want to kill a whole bunch of people but have an excuse for why it wasn't wrong yes. zombies. <laughs> yeah exactly and two I'm really rooting for the end times and for the society to crumble, and neither of those things are my jam. Yeah. On that well, first one, so, on yeah. that first point, though, why do you play video games? Well, uh, I don't actually <laughs> like the video games where you're doing a lot of killing of people. Yeah. Uh, well, that's more so, of a puzzle man. That's he likes part to of that. solve. Yeah. He likes to solve the things. Whereas <laughs> I, the only no, I'll kill. I'll kill yeah. monsters. Oh, and oh yeah, monsters zombies are people. Monsters, monsters are in yeah. no way avatars right. of other people. No. Yeah. See, over time, my whole video game thing is like, do I get to use a lot of weapons and kill a lot of people? That's really all I'm interested in. Mm. <laughs> and I'll play that. I, no, but but in all seriousness, you know, some video games like Uncharted series, for example, really kind of bug me because yeah, in the end, you're supposed to be Indiana Jones, except this is the version of indiana jones where where any just slaughters like a thousand goons on the way in yeah um duke nukem i wish though my problem with games like that where you, you're committing all these acts of violence on all these people is they never they never lay there for like 20 minutes going no help me mommy mommy or whatever like like normal dying people do i want that I want them all laying there slowly dying and murmuring, you know? You're saying you're saying the violence isn't given its due. Yes. Oh, have I got some fresh shit for you. Do you have, um, do you have to let it really. linger? Do you have to? Do you have no, to? I don't. <laughs> um, so You're a dick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm not doing it. I'm not dropping that. Fuck off. Yeah. Go on. No, right. I think people More know what shit. we're talking about. You hear it in your head. It's good. Zombies. It's good. All right, uh, I'm done. I want to hear about okay. about about, about uh, a deathmatch glory fuck video game. <laughs> no, yeah, two K. No, it's not death it's actually glory none fuck of that. 2K. I'm going to disappoint Eric so badly. Okay. Um. So, yeah, let's talk about uh, Snake Eyes uh, GI Joe Origins. Oh, yeah. you um, didn't. Yeah. Oh. Like um, okay, I know so, you, I know you like the the Rise of Cobra. As a the Rise pleasure. of Cobra is so dumb because it's just smashing yeah. toys together, right? Yeah. It's a toy commercial. It knows it's a toy commercial. Yeah. It's stupid and it's fun. Yeah. And that's all you really need out of one of these yeah. things, right? Like just, just give me some pixels on the you screen and let's yourself, have some fun. You need to pull yourself back to the age when you were the target audience for those toys and you yeah. would watch the cartoon after school. Oh and yeah. It, the idea that they would make a high budget. Uh, action movie right. of the same if you put yourself in that mode it's fucking awesome I would have killed yeah. for that movie yeah. yeah and that's I mean it's kind of the golden age of that sort of thing for, for kids but so Snake Eyes like the first G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra we were all like yeah the whole review was ninja explosions more ninjas <laughs> more explosions <laughs> basically and, and and then the second one with The Rock and Bruce Willis was really not that it it's like yeah it didn't 
that, it was no that, fun. That pitch meeting, I'm like, did somebody seriously go in and go, well, you know, that first one was really fun and ridiculous. Let's try to make it more serious. Yeah, let's make it's it like, real. It's like, come right? on. So <laughs> let's hire the most expensive, laziest actor in Hollywood. Yeah, Bruce really. Willis. I mean, in the in the even in the preview, he's he's in the back of a pickup yeah. truck shooting people, lying down, like he can't even yeah. be bothered to get up. <laughs> That's Bruce Willis in a nutshell. So that that movie sucked. So for the third GI Joe movie in a row, we're rebooting the franchise <laughs> every single movie. <laughs> well, it's because there've been and so, now so many gaps. Yeah. Now it's Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe Origins, um, starring Henry Golding from uh, Crazy Rich Asians, mm -hmm. and, um, oh, <laughs> it, God, I mean, how hard is it to make a movie about Snake Eyes and just deliver ninjas and explosions? But no, like, what we get is... It's, it's basically this, this video game plot where he goes to Japan and is being trained in the ways of the clan of the guy who's going to be Storm Shadow. And it's basically a riff on a bunch of old Japanese samurai movies, but it's also like magic and monsters are suddenly oh, a thing old, and old. mystical gems sounds like chinese martial <laughs> arts movies i mean yeah. It, okay yeah. It, yeah but not in a good way because here's the thing right every martial arts scene of which there are many is shot in jason Bourne confusio vision oh. right it's quick cuts and handheld yeah. and what really sucks is those are the only scenes that are shot that way and there is an action <laughs> scene involving like cars and motorcycles and stuff where they are they demonstrate yeah we we can shoot action we yeah. can edit action we're deliberately choosing to Not make to. the martial arts in our martial arts movies shitty yeah. like it's on purpose well that's the and thing it's is when irritating the, when the born movies came out and the second one with Paul Greengrass directing and everybody went apeshit saying, this is the future of action cinema. And I'm like, it is jumbled. It's confusing. There's no geography. Your fight scenes He suck. survives a five-story fall by being on top of another guy's body. That's yeah. not a thing. Right. And it's like, you know, this, your, your style is just not good, but everybody lost their minds because I guess they thought it was new and refreshing. And now yeah, that's like what everybody it does. It's like, fuck. So yeah, I understand. And- and this and this Japanese fortress that we're in has this really high-tech security system, except for the room where the MacGuffin is. The room where the MacGuffin is, the door does not lock, there are no security cameras, there's not even, like, a ring cam in this thing, right? It's just uh, nothing. Nice. And... Uh, uh, it's just it's just lazy writing all over the place. Lazy, lazy, lazy which, nonsense. Which from a and movie then, based on a toy line, that's astonishingly strange to me. Okay, g g give me something that I could purchase as a toy on the screen because that's not in this movie. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, there, there's a uh, Jesus. The the reason I I said uh, I referenced it when you're talking about Walking Dead is. There's a lot, and I mean a lot, of katana fighting and guys getting killed with katanas, and it is all 100% bloodless. Ew. There is no blood. But people are getting sliced and diced everywhere, and they don't bleed. There's one scene with blood in it, and it's the one where the guy is deliberately cutting his hand to make a blood oath with somebody yeah. else. Other than that, arms and heads and bodies movie. and no blood. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's the same could be said for the uh uh Star Wars reboot, the first reboot. Yeah. yeah. The prequels. Well, that makes me think of uh the Wolverine where he goes to Japan, but it's still a yeah. fairly bloodless thing. But then they had sense yeah. enough to make Logan, which is just blood everywhere. It's like this is the Wolverine <laughs> movie you need. This is the one you want. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. It's like uh, somebody sometimes gets them right. That and Deadpool. It's like yeah. you know, get down with the violence mm -hmm. for once. We there are enough cartoonish uh, 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 movies like this. Yeah. And it's I not read, like I read one review that um, said that this was basically Henry Golding's James Bond audition. Was this movie? Yeah. Huh. I buy that. It's an interesting, interesting question. I don't know. Anyway, G.I. Joe Origins, <laughs> Snake Eyes, it's better than the second G.I. Joe movie? But the bar was so sure. low. The bar was, the yeah, bar was very, very low. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Wow. Um, 
Yeah, disappointing. I was, you know, because you'd go to the theaters and you could you could only see you could not see the the Snake Eyes trailer without also seeing the Shang Chi trailer. So now Shang Chi might actually have a shot at being the better of those two movies. Snake Eyes had the better trailer, and there's the rule again: yeah. better trailer, worse movie. Yep, 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 yep. yep okay, yep, yep. yep. I so, saw the trailer yeah, this week for uh, House of Gucci, and it looks horrible. Uh, and so that's why I'm hoping it's actually good. <laughs> yeah, because that's I'm, the problem. I'm like, yeah, I I don't think I can like watch two and a half hours of Academy Award nominated actors. They really want you to know that in the preview. Uh, uh, all speaking in fake Italian accents because they all do it all over the thing. Boom, da dum, ba bim, ba boom, ba. Oh no, no. Yeah. Oof. Nice. Yeah, that's like, okay. like that's so, like Hogan's heroes when the, they go out into the village undercover and they're just speaking in German accents, <laughs> and you're and you're supposed to just assume that that means they're speaking fluent German. <laughs> right, it's like the same thing. Uh, so my my polar opposite of big dumb summer movies that um should have come out in 2020, but maybe should have just not come out at all. Uh, I went and saw the Green Knight. Uh, yesterday. Oh. How's that? Because I keep seeing I conflicting see things. Like some people really love um, it, and it seems. Pretty... I love the original story. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, maybe if you love, I don't, th- I don't know. Maybe you'd like it, but it's really, uh, slow. <laughs> <laughs> like. Like, like, if you take the trailer, I think the trailer has all of the interesting scenes in it. If you play the trailer at one-tenth speed, that might be the movie. Um, <laughs> um, gorgeous, okay, gorgeous production design, top to bottom, okay? So, like, all the clothes, everything they're going for is as period accurate as they can, right? So the the all the costumes and the sets appear to be... It, appear to be hand built i know there's some digital creature work in this but man is it well executed everything just looks like it should they managed to find places in ireland to shoot that are undeveloped and you know it is just the dimmest like the lighting is so dark it is the darkest movie they only light what they absolutely want to even when it's daytime it's overcast you know this is a dark Slow, you know, he's got six days. Sir Gawain has okay. The the plot, Sir Gawain the Green Knight, right? Uh, basically, the Green Knight has shown up in King Arthur's court. Gawain is a nephew of Arthur. The Green Knight says, you know, land whatever blow you want to land on me, and one year hence I'll do the same to you if you come to me. And that's that's the bargain. And in order to have honor, Gawain is is gonna see it through, even though what he happened to do was behead the Green Knight. <laughs> <laughs> and so he knows he's marching to his own beheading. Yeah. Um, and along the way, occasionally, in between very long shots of him traveling the countryside <laughs> that are beautiful, uh, he encounters some other characters for some very long, slow scenes that don't amount to anything. In fact, as far as I can tell, in this telling of The Green Knight, Gawain is obviously an asshole from the very beginning and remains an asshole learns no lessons <laughs> does not live up to the code of chivalry and it's amazing realizes by the end that he's an asshole well you know That's you gotta give good. kudos you gotta give kudos to screenwriters that don't follow any of the rules of screenwriting <laughs> When they're creating their scripts, more power to you. Like he's he's supposed to come across all these things and run across the five challenges of chivalry or whatever, and and so he has all of his shit stolen from him early on, and then as he's encountering all of these other characters, he gets like one of the things he lost back. But the way this movie plays out, the lesson is: be an asshole, you'll be rewarded for it. So <laughs> so he has he has a hero's journey where he doesn't actually in any way develop it's basically what he started with is what gets him through to the end the the very end actually i think does does underline that he his journey was oh shit i'm an asshole i deserve to have my head cut off i think is pretty much where we land with him Mm. so (laughs) 
it is I, I don't feel bad talking about the story because this is an Arthurian legend from the like the what the 15th century yeah um, but um, the movie is not about the plot it's about the way it was shot it's about the way it feels it's about tone it's about cinematography it's about costume design even the score like all of the instruments uh i i think are credibly period accurate where all of the music could have been performed the lighting is very naturalistic if it's nighttime man there is not a lot of light you know yeah um so it's kind of got that um shot with real, you know, yeah. in-camera light. Historically I, accurate I uh, 15th century, though, will never touch John Borman's Excalibur. Am I right? Yeah. This, this <laughs> is <laughs> not Excalibur. This has yeah. been billed as the new Excalibur, and no. they keep saying, you know, it's blood and sex and magic, and it's like... Mm, That's yeah. just it. I, don't I think mean, it, it's a hard I, fantasy, but not... Good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody will come close to touching what Borman did with Excalibur for any Arthurian movie. I mean, it's just mm. he he took it and just made it his own. Like that's Borman through and through, and no other Arthurian movie is going to have that element to it. And that's yeah. why it still stands the test of time. <laughs> like I just I just I, like the bar is too high if you're trying to go after Excalibur. I went into the Green Knight with high hopes and high expectations because the reviews have been just, you know, high scores across the board. Right. And I came out and, I mean, I was I was bored. My wife was, like, annoyed. She was like, that movie <laughs> just sucked. Uh, so, out of, so out of the two, yeah. out of the two, which would you say is better? Oh, the Green Knight, but just because it's a serious movie. but. Okay. Okay. I mean, go watch G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. That's my recommendation yeah, really? this week. Okay. <laughs> Which, <laughs> what yeah. do you got, Chris? Just, yeah, just watch the one that's actually fucking entertaining, for fuck's sake. Uh, well, speaking of new movies that are also terrible, uh, I happened across some weird serendipitous uh, moment where I could watch the new Disney film Jungle Cruise. Starring oh, I'm going to see that later today. How bad is it? <laughs> I was hoping to see it, that before the show, yeah. It's fucking terrible, but oh. it's, it's someone entertaining. Basically, it's it's a throwback to the kinds of big-budget extravaganzas that Disney live-action used to make in the 90s when you had like those sort of adventure things. And the, the graphics are pretty much dated to that era as well. They're just... Huh. They're like... There's a whole, there's a character in there that's like a, a jaguar that he keeps as a pet. Uh, yeah, that looks terrible and in it's, the trailer. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like it, it never gets beyond the oh, this is John Favreau doing the Jungle Book kind of nonsense. Uh, but it's set in 1916 Amazon. There's a whole treasure hunt goo goth plot thing, but basically it's think of it this way: it's like if you take Stephen Summers' The Mummy and just mush mash it together with Pirates of the Caribbean, you get That's exactly Cruise. what this movie looks like. Yeah, it's exactly I've, what you th get. That, you're selling it, though. I want to see that. See, it's, you thought, would think it would... Yeah. I thought it looked like the African Queen. Is there a lot of it's, African there, Queen in there? there well, I was going to say, there are elements of that as well because they're being pursued by the Germans who have a U-boat that they're trolling up the Amazon to find this Guga is Jesse Plemons plays like the youngest son of the Kaiser Wilhelm and so he's mm. got the German the German <laughs> navy and so there's all kinds of nonsense there and then there's like a whole subplot with some sort of Spanish conquistador curse uh where these guys are like cursed to live within the the eye distance of the river or something and they can never leave so they're the pirates of the caribbean yeah, okay yeah. No, or yeah. the yeah. third indiana jones movie with the knight it's yeah, I mean it's got elements of that. But there's yeah, I'm watching it going, okay, so it's the mummy, it's Pirates of the Caribbean, African Queen, uh Indy Jones, uh it's got some Jumanji aspects to it. Uh I mean it's just a straight it up still sounds like the best summer blockbuster we're gonna get so far this year until <laughs> well, Suicide Squad comes out. Yeah. I mean, go see it if you're gonna. Uh you you'll have moments where you're entertained, but the whole thing just looks very expensively flat. I mean it's just they put all that money on screen and it's just there's barely a flicker of chemistry between the rock and Emily Blunt. 
James Whitehall is sort of the the foppish English brother character who's along for the ride, and he's sort of the comic relief. Uh, Paul Giamatti is totally wasted in the role that would be like uh, <laughs> from like Tales of the Gold Monkey. You say that like yeah. they didn't take advantage of him, but I'm thinking Paul Giamatti is drunk off his ass while filming the movie. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he plays like some he plays like some Italian uh, boat magnet in this small Amazonian village. He's got like a gold tooth and the whole nine yards. I mean, it's just silly. The whole thing is silly from start to finish, and it's just so weird what? to me. Yeah. The Disney Rock Jungle Cruise well, movie is silly. Well, here's the thing. If they'd have released this like 10, 12 years ago on the heels of the Pirates of the Caribbean when that was still, you know, looked upon well, they probably would have been all right. <laughs> but this just comes out of the blue and it's like, oh, yeah, you literally just went in and made a movie up based on one of your theme park rides. Congratulations. I mean, it's just there's nothing to it. It's just all effervescence. Uh, they set it up for the sequel. There's like a weird plot twist in the middle somewhere that doesn't make a lick of fucking sense. It's just thrown <laughs> at you out of nowhere just to propel the plot. I mean, it's just none of it makes any sense. It's very uh, loose endy. Uh, and it's just. Compare it, it, it to Alan Quartermain in The Lost City of Gold. Uh, which. It, <laughs> it's, oh. it's like that, but with more of a budget. Hey, okay. have we ever done a show on adventurer movies? Because I realize there's a whole nope. genre here of yeah. uh, ripping off Indiana Jones. We could oh, do yeah. a show on. Which, yeah, I could do in a fucking heartbeat. But yeah, this one's very much like, yeah, it's like Alan Quartermain. It's like Firewalker. Remember Firewalker with Chuck Norris and Louis Gossett Jr.? Uh, it's it's like, it basically, it has more of the feel of a Menachem Golan Globus uh Oh, 80s classic. Okay, now I'm in. Yeah, but with kidding? like that's but great. with like a really with a really slick budget where someone said, okay, I like this bit that Stephen Summers did with the mummy, and I like these bits that we worked up for Pirates of the Caribbean, and we're just gonna put them in the blender, and we're gonna shit out this movie starring the Rock. This this movie was made by an AI being trained by the marketing department. Of Disney. I got yeah, basically. That. Yeah. Okay. When you See, when you finish, I was, it, you I was go, thinking okay. it was it was made by uh, a focus group of. Uh, like fourteen-year-olds transported from nineteen eighty-six, and no. then and then you gotta have a thing with the Nazis in a boat, U-boat, and and exp- yeah, yeah. Well, the thing that killed me is like <laughs> maybe this, that's apparently how guys was made. Yeah. Well, you see, this was like I guess they came up with this deal after the success of Pirates of the Caribbean. So I guess the project, like, just they couldn't get it off the ground. And it was dormant until like 2011. And then somebody like got the notion to get Tom Hanks and Tim Allen to star in it. And then uh. that fell through. And then Dwayne Johnson was cast and they got Emily Blunt. And then the whole thing kind of went from there. The whole thing just feels like it's cobbled together by committee. There's nothing to it except that it's pure commerce product. Uh but you know, I think I'm going to enjoy this a lot more than the two movies I watched. I, <laughs> I you, let, you let me know. You let me know because uh, I was I was <laughs> bored sounds... st- bored stiff for about half of it, which was unfortunate. So you know, huh. but as big yeah, but budget, you didn't watch Snake Eyes. <laughs> well, yeah, because you know I got better things to do. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> so if you want if you want to take the Jungle Cruise, then by all means. Buy the ticket, take the ride. Oh yeah, but don't no, I'm going me. to I'm going to the Chine Capri okay. at uh, at three thirty. So yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm like see it on the biggest, loudest screen I can. Okay, good luck to you, sir. <laughs> Done. Mic drop. So yeah, that puts me in a mood for uh, today's topic, which is uh, oh. probably the oldest movie that we've ever discussed here on the program. Movie is literally older than my mom. Yeah, which whoa, yeah. bro, whoa, and yet yeah, so much I'm, of it I'm old still enough, works. Thanks. Yeah, so much of it, I'm like, no, no, this is this is. If you told me the Coen Brothers made this like a couple of years ago, I'd believe yeah. you. Well, okay, that's wait thing. a minute, wait a minute. We are talking about 1940s, The Philadelphia Story, Correct. starring Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant, and Cary Grant, and mm-hmm. Jimmy. Yes, and and you're say- I. Just could not disagree with Eric's statement more. Really? This really? movie is from fucking Mars. This is uh, from an entirely different culture than whoa. I have ever lived in. Whoa, dude. Oh, oh wow. you're well, talking here's, about maybe 
maybe in terms of cultural mores, yeah, it's of yeah. the forties, but you know, or the idea that the 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 main character's big problem is she's such a bitch. But yeah, otherwise, <laughs> I I watched the performance, the jokes, the punchlines, and I'm like, no, these all yeah. land. The yeah. my 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 biggest laugh out loud wow, moment no. was after what. <laughs> What? No, I heard keep no. Going. Keep going, and then I'll have to explain what this movie is for the folks at home. So, go ahead. Yeah, your biggest oh. punchline moment. No, no, no. I'm not going to ruin anybody's flow. Go for it. Well, that's okay. So, basically, <laughs> this was uh, one of the grand MGM comedy vehicles from the late 30s, uh, early 40s. So, 19, late 1940, it came out. Uh, it's Catherine Hepburn's comeback movie, because up to that point, she had been considered box office poison. So nobody would make a movie with her. And then so she got her boyfriend, Howard Hughes, to get the rights to this play that she had been doing on Broadway. And then they turned it into this movie, which became a huge hit and reignited her career. And then the rest is history. But basically, it's uh, it's a a screwball comedy, more or less, about the uber, uber rich that nobody should give a shit about, uh, (laughs) where Catherine Hepburn is divorced from Cary Grant. She's marrying another guy named George Kittredge, and her father, who's an uber-rich, wealthy one percenter, is having some sort of affair with a dancer in New York that this, uh, like, ta- this rag magazine called Spy has dirt on him. Is going to publish a story. So Cary Grant, to protect his ex-wife's family, says, "Hey, I'll take you in with some reporters, and you can get the scoop on her very private wedding." And then call off that story about her dad, blah, blah, blah. So then you get Jimmy Stewart and Ruth Hussey as the sort of the normals uh, to go in and see how the hoity-toity live. And then everything sort of devolves into this weird love quadrangle with Catherine Hepburn and Kittredge and Cary Grant. And then Jimmy Stewart gets on board and everything kind of just becomes this weird farcical uh, nonsense that's still very funny to me. And it's one of those movies that every time I watch it, it makes me laugh. And there you have it. Hmm. Yeah. But Brian apparently... Yeah, I, mean, I, I could not identify a joke. I did not laugh once. Really? Like, really? Why are we oh watching this? Oh my God, this? you oh are God. the fuck. You are dead inside, Brian. <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> this is a classic, if ever there is a classic. It's like this, and it happened one night. I'm still laughing my ass off at this yeah. movie. Like this, and it happened one night, uh, basically are the whole sole reason that Julia Roberts had any fucking career in the 1990s, because that is the template for every rom-com in the last 30 years. And if you don't see that connection, then I don't know how to help you with this one, Brian. Uh, but that's astonishing that you just you are so turned off by this thing. Explain. I, I could not I'm relate sad. to any character at all. Really? Because they're just from a culture that I don't understand or have ever lived in interesting and and the comedy doesn't work for me because i don't relate to the context it's it's like our comedy doesn't age well oh hypothesis right like the, whatever the jokes are they're referring to a culture and a standard of etiquette and all of that that i don't understand okay. so they just go right through me my, my big my big favorite laugh moment Right. Besides him uh, pushing Catherine Hepburn down, which is right. hilarious if you consider it's from the time of spousal abuse being funny. Um, <laughs> the uh, uh, Cary Grant punches Jimmy Stewart so that the uh, uh, actual uh, 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 fiance, fiance of of Catherine Hepburn doesn't do it. So he punches him. Fiance goes away, and Cary Grant explains, "I, you know, thought I should punch you rather than him. He's in much better shape than I am." And Jimmy Stewart says, "Oh, you'll do." And the way he does that, mm. that's it's that is so like shockingly now. I mean, everything yeah. about the delivery, the the, it's just yeah, it's that yeah. still works for me. I thought that was funny as hell. Yeah, I think to me, the whole thing just plays on multiple levels because you've got the weird love quadrangle, first of all, which I've never seen before or since in any movie. Uh, But then you also have these weird splinters of love triangles branch off because you get uh, Cary Grant and Kittredge, who are the ex-wife, new new fiancé for Hepburn. But then you get Jimmy Stewart to come in, but then he's also sort of attached to this photographer played by Ruth Hussey. And then Ruth Hussey's being pursued by the lecherous Uncle Willie. 
And so you get all these like weird entanglements and it's almost like this weird goofy version of like uh, a, like an F Scott Fitzgerald novel. I mean, it's literally just, this is the hoi polloi doing their thing, but the whole thing is summed up with Jimmy Stewart drunk during that after party with Hepburn. And he just says, it's the enjoy watching the privilege being privileged. I mean, that's and literally nobody, the, me- the mm-hmm. yeah. And, and re- recognize that like 1940, it's like the depression has just ended. Most people aren't familiar with these rich people either. So it's like, yeah. oh, okay to consider them from Mars because yeah. everyone else in the audience does too. Yeah. But we're, yeah, we're, there's a bit earlier on when the, the spy magazine people are, are at the property and, and basically, it's Catherine Hepburn holding court, and she's all smiles and putting everything in the nicest wording possible, and everything she says, ha- you know, is obviously in some way throwing shade or you know has subtext and and isn't you know it, it isn't as it's it's the bless your heart kind of delivery where she's just all right. fake smiles and and high society and like so when she was going down that road at first. I'm like, okay, I, I can see where this this could get entertaining because because she did that well. But then, yeah, then everybody just starts drinking, like, a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is why, I mean, it's like an F. Scott Fitzgerald kind of a thing. And that's basically what, what they did back then. They're, like, smoking all the time, drinking all the time. Plenty of humor about being yeah. hungover. Etc. Etc. So yeah, yeah. This this movie is rated G, everybody, and that G stands for get shit faced, get behind the <laughs> wheel of a car, get a DUI, yeah. get get busy fucking everybody else in the cast. G for well, your kids. That's what's so fun. Oh, and is. also for grabbing ass. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, for me, it's fun because Cary Grant plays C.K. Dexter Haven, who's one of the you know one percenters, uh, f- former husband of Catherine Hepburn, and he is sober in this thing and his whole backstory is that he was a, just a terrible terrible drunk and which is one reason their marriage fell apart and he's sober through the whole thing but he plays it so understated that at times he blends right in with everybody because he's just so goofy and smarmy <laughs> and it just he, he's he, the best part of the movie yeah and he plays right in and it's Cary Grant pretty much at the pinnacle of his Cary Grantness. I mean this is literally why yeah. he's such a star uh, but then you also have Hepburn who comes across as that just very unreachable, like for lack of a better term, bitch. And that was her persona. But this whole movie to me is literally about her showing that that persona is just that. It's not real. There are cracks in the facade and you'll just basically start to see a real person emerge by the end. And that to me is what you get. That's the journey. It's like, that's Catherine Hepburn going, okay, this is me as people see me. This is me as I present myself to those people based on what they think I should be. And then this is me after all that just turns to crap. That is sort of the Mm. flow through of the movie for me. And that's what's so interesting because it's a class comedy but both sides of the class line are basically going, you're a fucking asshole. This is what I think of you. And then by the end, they're going, oh, shit, you're just as fuck up and damaged as I am. And I don't know what to do with that information. I mean, that's to me, that's the whole point of the movie. So it plays well from my perspective. But that's just me. I, I like that Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart are both so completely different in performance. And yet right. they work together. They work great together. <laughs> it's true. I love the scene where, where Jimmy Stewart, uh, Macaulay Connor, the writer, is drunk and like wakes C.K. Dexter Havens up <laughs> out of his sleep. And they have their conversation where one is totally stone sober and one is like five bottles of champagne into his night. <laughs> and the interaction mm-hmm. is just so effortless. Yeah. It's like, and there's it's a all, reason... It's, it's all eye movement too, and facial gestures. It's like yeah. it would not play on a podcast, but the way they're playing off of each other, it's definitely. Kerry yeah. Grant going, "You're hilarious because you're shit faced," and and Jimmy Stewart like, "I'm a very serious person." But yeah, because when he rolls he up to the house like and fool. it's <laughs> it's one of it's one of my favorite Jimmy Stewart line reads ever when he's just yelling for the character he's like ck dexter Haven. you know it's just like calling him out and then later when he's chastising Cary grant for being a pompous rich prick and then he sees the novel that he he himself had written 
on the shelf of this pompous prick, and he just says, Why, C.K. Dexter Haven, you have unimagined depth. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's just like this weird like light switch turn where suddenly it's like, okay, uh, my preconceptions about you are totally just that misconceptions and so that to me is the whole flow through the movie though i do i do like the fact that all of these uh realizations on his part are because some character is reading his book Mm -hmm. you know it's like Catherine hepburn (laughs) is reading his book and so she's okay uh ck dexter haven reads his book so he's okay you know yeah so yeah (laughs) about that jimmy stewart playing the jimmy stewart everyman right yeah and when he when he finds out that you know he discovers katherine hepburn in the library wearing what i can only describe as north pole elf cosplay in this scene (laughs) um but but he, he you know and sign of the times right his line about that is Oh, you know what happens to girls like you when they read books like mine? They begin to think that's bad. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but that's the thing is he's he's a pompous ass, but he gets taken down a peg or two through the course of the movie, and a lot of that's based on his interaction with his photographer girlfriend, played by Ruth Hussey, who got uh, nominated for the Academy Award for this one, by the way. And she is so like, she's almost like a noir heroine because she's so mm-hmm. cold-hearted cynical just cuts right through the bullshit and takes no guff kind of a thing but she's stepping back she's like i need to let him figure out his bullshit and then we're okay but i'm not gonna get to, his to way. the point of i'm gonna sit here and watch him propose to katherine hepburn yeah. and then get shut down and she's still cool with him yeah like because she, she knew it was fuck. nonsense she knew it was all what? nonsense it's like he's not serious so that makes you think, what's their backstory? It's like, how many times has he done this kind of bullshit? <laughs> Where she's yeah. just like, whatever, go ahead, fuck nut. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> so it's, yeah. just, it's just got all the hallmarks, though. It's got the zippy dialogue of the, the screwball comedy. You've got the class clashing uh, distinctions. You've got the weird, farcical, like, almost French misconceptions. Misunderstandings. Misunderstandings. Yeah, uh, and I like the, that they, they set that up in the beginning, like, here, you're going to pretend that you're friends of their brother in South America, and then they basically just destroy that uh, right off the bat. They're like, okay, we know that they're here, they now know that we know that they're here, and then that's all distinct, That's all taken care of in the first act, and it's like, oh shit, now what are you going to do? And then they like roll into the rest of it, so it's fun. So so there's the the... The tween, like maybe ten or eleven year old sister of Catherine Hepburn. Dinah. So, first of all, let's feel bad for Catherine Hepburn's mother having kids that far apart and having yeah. to keep dealing with them. Well, yeah. But um, at the very end, Dinah in- implies that the whole way things played out was was a- according to her plan that she's been pulling the strings. Does that hold up on a second viewing? That's <laughs> just her perception of the whole thing. Like Dinah, it okay. just has that weird like like young kid idea that they're the center of the universe and so that's sort of like her because in the beginning that's all set up with the joke of her where she basically just wishes for everything to go her way that's sort of what that's uh referring to so i'll say that that character usually annoys the shit out of me the precocious child but yeah. In this one, mm-hmm. she's given funny stuff, and she put the actress pulls it off. So I don't yeah. mind her at yeah. all. Yeah, yeah. No, she holds her own against this very stacked cast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I gotta ask the guy who plays Kittredge. They made him up so much to look like Clark Gable. I have to wonder were they trying to get Clark Gable <laughs> at one point to add to at, the man power on at this one thing? point? I think Clark Gable had been considered, but he and George Cukor, the director, had had a falling out at some point. The lore is that uh, back in the early days before Gable was a big star, he was like a, a gigolo to make ends meet. And George Cukor at one point was one, of his, John, was one of his Johns. And so oh. the, their work environment was very strained, apparently. So Gable <laughs> never, never wanted to work with him again. Uh, that's the lore. So this I don't know. Scene, Gable money Clark, for, for a this trick. Next scene, I think the reaction said. I want from you is the reaction you gave when you tasted my balls. Can you, can yeah. you give me that? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, just the like the the way they put this thing together, it's total Hollywood. But I think when when Hepburn 
brought it to MGM as her comeback vehicle. I think at one point she had, uh, like, I think, uh, what's his face? Her, her Spencer Tracy was, uh, supposed to play Mike Connor and then Gable was supposed to play CK Dexter Haven. That would have been a totally different movie in my mind. It would have not been good at all because I just don't buy either of those actors in the roles as they were set. Yeah. Uh, so it's just very strange to me that that would sort of be considered. But, you know, it turned out to be what it is, and I love it. But the general gist of the movie, it's all about second chances to me, and that's like life imitating art imitating life, because it's Hepburn coming back, and this is the one that basically salvaged her career. But you also have George Cukor, who directly prior to this, had been fired from both Gone with the Wind and The Wizard of Oz. And so his, <laughs> his, his career was like, oh, no one's going to hire me. So then he ends up doing this thing, and then it goes gangbusters. And then, you know, he gets to move on and eventually win the Academy Award for My Fair Lady. So everybody comes out of this sparkling. But it's just a, a very, you know, fixed in amber moment in time for me to watch this movie, which is what what makes it so enjoyable for me to watch because it's 1940. So it's right before world war two gets the U S involved. And so it's one of the last times you see Jimmy Stewart actually be light and breezy on camera. Yeah. Because yeah. After, after this, that, you know, becomes war hardened and freaked yeah. out. And you could totally tell mm. like movies after this, after he comes back from the war, he's funny, but there's just that weird hearted heart kind of thing that he's got rolling in the background that's so strange to watch. Because if you see Stuart before then, he's just, he's light, he's fun, he's awesome. But after that, it's like, that dude has seen some shit. (laughs) So it's a very (laughs) strange thing to me. Uh. So watching this movie, I I had to, uh, what I latched onto in the end was just, uh, honestly, was like just, just, looking at the the actors and the actresses and the costumes and all of that right like like the 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 wardrobe in this thing is impeccable except for the elf outfit other than that like everyone's looking fantastic clark gable looks amazing right uh but the jimmy stewart i did not realize how goddamn tall that man must be like oh yeah he looks like he's eight feet tall in this thing i mean i know that means everybody else is shorter than you'd think but man is he tall and then they give him these suspenders and these pants that come up to you know, like old man pants that come up to the <laughs> over his rib cage mm-hmm. which make him look even taller so he's looking you know he's like seven feet tall but he looks nine feet tall he's friggin' beanpole that guy yeah he's, mean, he's meanwhile the women are frighteningly thin <laughs> like, well you know Catherine Hepburn and uh, the other woman, Ruth Hussey. You know, yeah, Ruth Hussey. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, I, you know, I whatever. That's I mean, Hollywood. Well, I mean, it's it's total <laughs> MGM. I mean, produced by Joseph L. Mankiewicz uh, when he was working at MGM. Brother of Herman, who co-wrote uh, or mostly wrote Citizen Kane. I mean, it's like this basically just Hollywood royalty, top to bottom, in this thing. And there's a reason that it's a classic because it just it's got everything. I mean, everything in this movie just pops, which is why it's, it's weird that you came into it with that uh, take on it, Pride. That's just strange to me. I've never met anybody that has watched this and went, ah, bleh. I mean, that's just, I th- that's an interesting observation. I, th- I think the reason a lot of films like this from the period work is that they knew how to adapt a play. You know? You know? Right. It's like they, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't fuck with the source material. They they just shot what was there, but where they could make it more cinematic, they did. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a play. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. It, well, it plays like a play. Well, when I pitched this last week and Eric had brought up uh, High Society, so I think we kind of have to just touch on that briefly. Which is, that's the musical remake of this thing, Yeah, right? that they right. did like 15 years later, mid-50s, with Bing Crosby as C.K. Dexter Haven. Sinatra as uh, Macaulay Connor, Grace Kelly in the Hepburn role, uh, and it's just which I that makes no sense. You know, yeah, it's like I've yeah I've never, I used, I grew up with this kid. I was twenty two. She was seven. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's well that's part of the fifties too, where it's like they made so many movies that were very much about 
men who are just precipitously too old for the Anjou's in which they are involved. Uh, yeah. It's just We're that was, I don't know why the period to stop. Yeah. I was going to say that's a fifties thing. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's very noticeable in the fifties, but, uh, but high society, I still have never seen the whole thing because it's just, it's a travesty in my head. I'm like, you yeah. made a musical version of this movie. <laughs> And you cast those people. It just none of it makes sense. None of it makes sense. And then you like you, you stunt cast Louis Armstrong in some like minstrel role. I mean, it's just weird. That was it's weird. so weird. That was so kind. So many different kinds of weird. But yeah. I I will say though, I still love the um the numbers, like high you know the the, the title tune I love yeah. uh and the whole thing where Macaulay Culkin and uh. A Louis C.K. get uh, drunk, and, <laughs> and there's that whole you know number I have heard among, among this, this clan. You are called a forgotten man. Is that what they sing? Well, did you ever? What a swell party this is! And have you heard the story of a boy, a girl, unrequited love? Sounds like pure soap opera. I may cry. Tune in tomorrow. What a swell party this is! It's a great number with the two of them blasted, but singing. Yeah. Well, that's probably the only screen pairing of Sinatra and Crosby, so I guess it's got something going for it. But I don't, yeah. I don't recall uh, Grace Kelly being a singer, a singer. Or a dancer, so it's just kind of, it's a very stiff. It's movie very forced. overall, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it gets a mention just because it's still something. Yeah, but don't confuse the two. Is probably the best way. Oh to no, put it. it's basically like if you watch Anti Mame with Rosalind Russell, and then you watch Mame, the musical version with uh, Lucille Ball. It's just not the same movie. It's that's kind of it's that kind of <laughs> but but uh, I would I would like to say like when I was a kid my parents loved the movie High Society so I <laughs> actually saw that before I ever saw Philadelphia Story. Well, Philadelphia Story is weird because I I I remember distinctly the first time I saw it was maybe like 1990 uh, when it was the summer of 1990 at our friend Toby's house and we he had this board game called Movie Mogul. Which is like Monopoly. I remember that. But you, instead of buying properties and stuff, you basically build film productions. And so you get, you buy actors and produce whatever. And one of the movies was Philadelphia Story. And I was working at Blockbuster that summer. So I'm like, we're going to watch all these movies that they mentioned. <laughs> uh, and I think <laughs> we was managed to like. Because they were all yeah. really good. But I think we got through like three of them. But the first one we did was Philadelphia Story. And from the moment we put it on, and it's that whole interaction between Grant and Hepburn where she's busting his golf clubs and then he goes up and he's about to sock her and he instead like pushes her down face first. And just like I was not prepared for that. And after that, I'm like, okay, I'm buckled in for this ride because that, <laughs> I'm like, if that's the kind of statement they're making right at the top, I'm here for it. And just, I was astonished at how fun I had how much fun I had watching it. Uh, and I've seen it like a dozen times since probably. It's just one of those feel good movies for me. So I don't know, but it's, it's definitely of its time. It's definitely, Oh, this is totally 1940 pre-war. You can tell, uh, mm -hmm. but it's just, it's a weird, weird deal about second chances. I think my favorite moment as a film nerd is watching when they're coming, when St Jimmy Stewart and Catherine Hepburn are coming back from the pool before there's the big conflagration with the fiance and Jimmy Stewart is singing somewhere under the rainbow. And it's, mm -hmm. and until you know that George Cooker got fired from that movie, <laughs> it's just a throwaway fancy like hit song. But once you know the backstory, you're like, Oh, is that Cooker just fucking with MGM? Just going, ah, eat dick. <laughs> I mean, that's cause that's what it feels like to me. <laughs> So there's just a whole lot of onion layers to this movie for me that just pay off still. So it's it's fun. I'm sorry you didn't like Word. it, Brian. I'm sorry. I'm, uh, are you noticing a theme this year? I don't seem to be liking much of anything. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I'm trying to make it get in a happy place, man. This should be a happy I, movie. I was, I was down for it, and yeah, damn. Well, w well, don't go watch Bringing Up Baby. I don't recommend that one. I don't like bringing up baby, so I, I can kind of see where you're coming from if you're just expecting something else and it doesn't deliver. 
So yeah, I I guess I was going. I thought I thought it was going to be more Tracy Hepburn style, where it was just going to have a bit more of a pace, and the the zingers were going to be a little more zingy. Yeah. Um, no, this I don't know. So very, maybe I just went in with the wrong expectation. Uh, yeah, this one's really a lot more understated. It's not like the zany screwball. It's more of the highfalutin, uh, hoity-toity screwball. So it's, I guess it's a, a different flavor. But highfalutin, yeah, hoity-toity, hoity-toity. If, you, if yeah. you listen, to, if you listen to this podcast, I watch at least one movie every week. And God help me, the my favorite movie of 2021 so far is The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that tells you everything you need to know, people. <laughs> but About you know, I twenty twenty one. Yeah, I predict though that after today, it'll be Jungle Cruise. That's what I predict. I doubt it. It sounds like <laughs> Jungle Cruise is just going to kind of be another one. But uh, I'm still, I'm still pulling for Suicide Squad, so we'll see. Okay. Well, if uh, if you're not turned off of screwball comedies from uh, watching this one, then Brian, I do recommend uh, It Happened One Night, which is probably like the the preeminent of that genre. But also, okay, Born Yesterday which came out in 1950. That's also a George Cooker. That's got William Holden and Judy Holliday. And that's the one she won the Oscar for. And that one is fucking hilarious. Uh, you might have more fun with that one. Uh, and okay. then uh, one called Ball of Fire, which is not to everybody's taste, but that's got Gary Cooper and Barbara Stanwyck. And that's a screenplay by Billy Wilder before he was a director. And so it's all got the zingy dialogue and all the confusion and the class conflict. And it's goofy. So. Those would be some of my recommendations if you want to explore the genre more. Yeah. I was a bigger fan of the, the uh, um, Greengrass uh, Jason Bourne yesterday. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I got nothing. Yeah, that was a bad... I think, I think on that Wow, note, that, that was like a time delay joke. It took a while for the comedy yeah, to go It's a callback. Uh, yeah, we're yeah. calling back. <laughs> that, sir, was definitely not Yar. Okay. <laughs> you got to watch this movie to figure that one out. Okay. I'm done. I don't really have anything else to add. If you like yep. classic movies, watch Philadelphia Story. Enjoy it. Uh, if people even watch old movies anymore, I don't know. Yeah. But it is available. I mean, that's the thing. It's not, yeah. uh, it's not something you have to rent. It's Which service has it right now? It was on HBO. It's HBO, on HBO Max right yeah. now. Yeah. So, yeah. There you go. All right. Well, yeah, if if you want to add to the list of movies that you think I should like that I may or may not like, you know, hit us up uh, on Twitter. We're at MagHuge, M-A-G-H-U-G-E. That's also the way you spell our website, MagHuge.com. And there you can find links to our Instagram and our Facebook page and a link to email us, MagnificentlyHugeGmail.com. And, and tell me I'm a Philistine for, for not digging the Philadelphia story. <laughs> Um, How dare you, as sir. always, we want you to like and share and subscribe to the podcast, spread the word, rate us on your podcast app of choice, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>